Hey guys, I'm Nick. And I'm Eugene. And welcome to Papercut. This week, we're talking about Of Mice and Men by John Steinbeck. The story goes as such. George Milton and Lenny Small are two migrant ranch workers during the Great Depression. They find new jobs after running away from their last workplace. Lenny, who is cognitively impaired on the spectrum, had previously been accused of rape after grabbing a girl's skirt. So, in their new workplace, George and Lenny worked hard to fit in. It wasn't all smooth sailing. Some of the existing workers took a disliking to the duo, especially Curly, the boss's son. Towards the end, George, Lenny and some of the other workers work out a plan to purchase some land and start their own farm. However, tragedy strikes when Lenny unwittingly kills Curly's wife when she was trying to seduce him. Devastated, Lenny meets George at the rendezvous where George sits him down and shoots him in the head as an act of mercy. Now, uh, so I have a few thoughts about the book, unsurprisingly. It's a fairly short read. I wouldn't say it's the easiest, but in terms of plot, it wasn't too hard to comprehend. I remember first reading this book, I think, right before my GCSE years, so when I was about 15, 14. And I thought at the time the story is quite tight. It doesn't get too artsy. It gets artsy at times, I guess, but it never really goes off tangent. It doesn't get. It doesn't consume itself in its own grandioseness or anything doesn't none of that i think to some extent the experience was ruined for me a bit because i was forced to read it in school <laughs> so yeah it was more like i had to read it as i completely to, get that i suppose actually that. wanting to read it so i think there was a bit of that uh had i not done that i think i might have enjoyed it a bit more but despite that i'd still recommend the book i think a one-time read through is highly recommended to anyone who's not read the book it's really not that long and you can get through it quite quickly it's not that hard to comprehend as well from a plot element the ending is heart-wrenching and is referenced quite a lot in pop culture as well we'll go through that in a bit and i think everyone sees to some extent like what's going to happen but not necessarily what's going to go down in the book so all the elements of foreshadowing uh somewhat some like chekhov's guns like some of the past actions replay itself so history repeats itself somewhat in this book as well and that's why i think so many high schools and gcse classes love this book because it's all there foreshadowing juxtaposition like irony oxymoron it's all there it's like textbook it's, it's like textbook how to how to write an english literature book right it is yeah. exactly textbook and in terms of ideas it's simple enough that like even I'm a 15, 14 year old me who didn't live through the Great Depression could understand enough of what was going on, you know? Exactly. Like, you don't actually need too much as well. All you need to know is it's the Great Depression. People didn't have jobs. People were sad all the time. And you, you had to travel through the country to find jobs. And you had a job. You were happy. That was heaven on earth. Kind of like now, except we hate our jobs anyway. <laughs> anyway, what were your thoughts, Eugene? Uh, I agree with your point on it being sort of like very textbook style. I also think I would have enjoyed it more if I wasn't forced to read it when I was young. Though actually, it was one of the books I enjoyed more Mm -hmm. during my English times in GCSE. I guess it's because those uh, it's one of the few books that 
wasn't written written in Shakespeare in English that I had to read. So yeah, <laughs> imagine like you have ten books to read, or actually not ten, maybe like five, and like three of them are like Macbeth, Romeo and Juliet, which are great stories, but they're written in such po- prose that it makes you kind of sick of that style of writing. Such that when you switch back to like normal style of writing, you go finally something I can read coherently. Oh, I you know. I actually, I have experience on that. So I remember, like, I'm not a fan of Shakespeare or anything. I wouldn't say like I'm an avid Shakespeare follower. But I remember going to a Shakespeare play one time, like, just for fun, and I didn't understand the language at all. But when you see it acted out, it makes sense. You could actually follow the plot, and I think that's really important to realize that when you're reading Shakespeare, you have to realize Shakespeare was never meant to be read. It was meant to be performed. So actually, reading it makes no sense. You、oh. actually need to see it portrayed by people. That was the idea. Because you have to understand that I'm pretty sure that people nowadays, all over the world, are a gazillion times more intelligent than people way back when. Especially if you were like a peasant way back when. Yeah, I guess so. so actually, yeah, because books were expensive back then, right? Books were, were expensive. Literacy、yeah. wasn't existent. Like people didn't know how to read. People didn't know how to do anything. It's written. It's written to be、habits. spoken, not written to be read. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So from that from that standpoint, like I think that's a bit. That's how you have to view it, really. The Shakespeare, anyway.、Oh. Nevertheless, it's still. I still had to read Shakespeare, <laughs> so <laughs> that was unfortunate.、Um, yeah, a lot of foreshadowing analysis. Actually,、uh, I remember like that was what a lot of my English classes were about for this particular book. So two distinctive cases. I'm not sure you've heard of those, Nick. But、um, so one of them is, I think it was either Lenny. I think Lenny threw like a pebble into the pond,、mm-hmm. and like all the ripples were going out.、Mm-hmm. And my English teacher said, "This is a foreshadowing of what a small action would do in a grand scheme of things." So like further on into the book, you have、um, well, you have Lenny sort of pissing Curly's or Curly off. Such that at the end, Curly wants to basically lynch him after what he's done, and then there's also another one where it's like Curly's wife's first entrance in the book,、mm-hmm. and I think she was going through a doorway, and the light shined on her red dress, and my teacher specified on the red part, and she was like, "The red means danger. She's a danger, guys. Watch out for her in a book," and lo behold, she was the reason why. Lenny basically had to run away and get shot by George. So yeah.、Um, well, anyway, that's all sidetrack stuff. In, ter- in terms of whether whether I would like recommend this book or not, as you said,、um, because this one is a GCSE level book, it's not as deep as other books can be. Although it's definitely like a nice read to, like, if you want a crash course on sort of like. The American Dream. Then, yeah, there's there's a book for you. I think there is a sense of that, and it's interesting how you mentioned that sort of GCSE element as well, like foreshadowing and everything. Because I sometimes I think we fit. Once you know the ending, it's easy to see everything as foreshadowing. Oh yeah, exactly. You know right.、I mean? Yeah. It's a bit like it's like reading history, and you know World War Two is going to happen. You, you then you can say, oh, this happened at this point in time. Did we should have stopped it then? This happened at this point in time. We should have stopped it. Then. It's like. Yeah okay, but you know the ending. That's cheating. That doesn't help. That's really cheating. <laughs> Same with this book. Like some okay, maybe the even the red dress one. I wouldn't say it's necessarily like 
check. It's 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 a visual well, image. Yeah, but here's the thing, right? Um, we had like a we had the red kimono a few, a few episodes back. Can I say that red kimono? It's not a red dress. It's a red hearing, and because it's red, then like it makes sense. That kind it's that kind of stuff. Yeah, like, and and for, like we don't know because we are not Agatha Christie or we are not mm-hmm. John Steinbeck, but chances are, probably not. <laughs> probably it's just red because um, it's a color. Yeah, it's a color. It's the yeah, it's the first thing that comes to their mind. It's like it's the classic when you see blue drapes. Yeah. It's like oh, the blue drapes represent sadness, and therefore everyone's sad and all that. Like, it, no, he it, just had blue drapes in his house. He looks at a window and goes, "Oh, okay, that's a cool color to have, right?" Exactly. The like, thing is, like, if you think about it, it can be blue drapes, it could be red drapes, it could be green drapes, it could be any drapes, and they they can make a story out of it. Is there a color that doesn't have emotions, like, or doesn't have an emotion that can get interpreted from it? Because I don't think so. Beige. What is beige? <laughs> <laughs> I only know I only know the seven ones. I'm sorry. I'm a I'm a bit of a normie here. Oh shoot! It's okay. Apparently, there's some frogs that are, or dogs that can see more an- or colors than we can, or some animals that can anyway. Oh. As a side, that's side tracking. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, I I do think that it's one of those, like you said, it's one of those books that you can drill down to several levels. And at the GCSE level, it's that foreshadowing stuff, you know, just to get those points in. But I think it can link to a lot more. And I think you touched on it already, like this whole idea that the American dream is basically BS. Yeah. So I think I'll start with a bit, the one that's a little bit more controversial because there is a black character in the book and he doesn't get very far in terms of, well, his life, really. He's basically stuck on the ranch the entire time. And his only way out is to join forces with George and Lenny, who might treat him better. Like, he can't buy his own land. He's not wealthy enough to do that. He doesn't have sort of the status to do that. He's got racism working against him. And this is his American dream. And it also resonates... It still exists today. Like, you look at America right now, it's like... People always say, oh, American dream this, American dream that. And, you know, you have African-American people going, well... American dream what? American dream what? American what? Dream what? <laughs> well, no, but that's the thing, right? Uh, it's quite ironic because the American dream is, it was meant to be about anyone, anyone of any nationality of any color can go in there. And as long as you um, quote unquote and Andrew Ryan work the sweat of your brow, then you can have what you earn. But clearly we can see that there are still going to be people who are left behind as is with i think every um utopian ideology every sort of ideal world there's always going to be someone left behind that you won't see on the surface level i think to that degree like you can even say that the plot i actually made this realization like the plot is almost somewhat secondary to the entire thing you can think of it from one way to look at it is the setting the story the story is about the setting itself so it's about the great depression and the bs that is the american yeah. dream and the plot don't get me wrong it's still good it's just if you view it from the lens of it being secondary you realize actually there's a lot of commentary in the setting as well and this is one of them like we're talking about one of them and of course at the time like it was the it was the great depression it was probably at the time the best documented piece of history ever made like writings pictures recordings what all from that period, like that period on was an explosion of data. So and people are still talking about it till this very day. Everything you hear about the economy is somewhat 
it still references yeah. the Great Depression. It's good, like since the Great Depression, this happened. Since the Great Depression, this was put into effect, right? That it, kind of stuff. Exactly. Like you think about it, you think about what a depression is, both from an economical sense and a mental sense. There is an overriding sense of hopelessness and helplessness, and you can see it in all the characters. So we've mentioned it in the African American characters already. Yeah. You can see it in George as well. Like he's not able to buy a farm just like that off the bat. He needs to work from it, but with the help of others, he's able to muster and buy something at the end. Hopefully, Lenny. You can see like he's hopeless and helpless, but he can't help himself literally because he's a bit too. Yeah, <laughs> he's a bit too special. Let's put yeah. it that way. And he needs instructions from his higher ups. So and he, at the end, he ends up committing acts of violence against him. You think about Curly, he's got a massive Napoleon complex, you know. He's leading all these big burly men and he's the tiniest one among them. Like you, he does feel a bit of hopelessness and it does manifest itself There's in There's a lot rage. of disillusionment for sure. And uh, I think books around those areas. I feel, I feel like John Steinbeck himself, his works, I haven't read his other works, but... Uh, they all feel like a lot of disillusionment to um, the American dream. Would you say so? Actually, I haven't. I can't say for the other ones, uh, but for this one, there's. I feel like there's a lot of disillusionment. Because I have full disclaimer as well. I haven't met many, read many of the other ones. It's always been snippets of them, and from what I understand, he grew up in. He lived through the Great Depression, and most of what his writing is based on this period. Yeah. So it's very much hopelessness, helplessness, poor, poor, poor. And you get that sense of... If you get that from his writing, great. I think that's probably what he was trying to aim at. <laughs> so, I mean, that sense of hopelessness and helplessness, that exemplifies a depression of any sorts. And I think one of the main reasons it's still these kinds of stories still persist is because even through all this crap, there is a way out of it. Or there is still life in it somewhere and there's still a story in it somewhere. You know, a story of hope. One. Might I guess it's say. a testimony to, to the reminder as well of how bad things was back then. I guess because this book is more of like, it's also an expression of the general populace, maybe, mm. of how they feel about life at that time. Exactly. So I guess this also gives us a glimpse into how the world was viewed from their perspective back then. Like, we could have been George... Or we could have been crooks. Yeah. Or we could have been um, slim or candy. But the other workers in, in orange. Yeah, exactly. Like, we could have been curly as well, although I hope I'm not curly. <laughs> I mean, we very uh, much yeah. could be. I mean, also, I guess in terms of morality, like there is a clear protagonist-antagonist. There's yeah. no like moral grey anywhere, really. Um, but I guess, I, guess um, I think back to your initial point is that you think... This story can be written literally about ranch workers, daily lives of ranch workers, and it will still reflect on the idea that how basically how life was back in the Great Depression. So the plot is secondary to the theme, which is just basically how bad it was back then. Yeah. And I guess one part I do want to highlight is even in spite of how bad it was, you know, there were... There were glimmers of light there. I think one of the massive sort of overriding themes as well was this idea of loneliness and what you can do to stave it off. Because from the outset, we are given this idea that Lenny depends purely on George, right? Yeah. Lenny's cognitively less able. George, he's 
not weak. He's quite strong. He's relatively sound-minded. So he's quite good. George just isn't like an average person. He's an average yeah. guy, yeah. And Lenny's clearly, well, not able to help himself. And so you get this dynamic where George feels that he needs to protect Lenny at all times. But what you find throughout reading the story as well is there's a bit more than that, you know. There's a bond going on there. And to some degree, Lenny helps George stave off this sense of loneliness. Yeah. And, you know, it's that sort of friendship and stuff that you have to find in the sort of the worst states that you can put yourself in. You know? And same with all the other ranch workers as well, because... You, like you said, the conditions are crap, but they can find some sort of they, camaraderie. Yeah. They all have themselves. a sort of like their own sense of dependency on each other. Mm. Like they all need somehow one way or the other. They need um, they need the existence of the other people in their life to make them who they are. Right? It's true. Like I heard somewhere that you can put people who absolutely can't stand each other on the same boat and give them a perilous journey. And by the end, they will be like the best of friends or something crazy like that. Because you at the in the at the end of the day you just have to survive and yeah. the only way you're gonna survive is by actually working. You got it them. right. What else can you do? What else can you do exactly? So run away to another place. Oh wait, that's what the story is about at the at the start, right? Mm. Yeah. So actually, yeah. Um, you know, I one thing I actually want to talk about as well is the the title of the book, "Off Mice and Men." So I don't know. In school, did you ever find out like what that is refer- in reference to or why that t- title came to be? I think we discussed it and I completely forgot why. Ah, okay. Because it wasn't the first title in mind. I think the first title was something like, oh, something happened. Yeah, something like that. It was really not well, Something happened by John Steinbeck. Yep. Wow. Yep. That, that was the original. I, <laughs> I, I just, yeah. It's like that Beatles song called Something. Yeah, that's, oh, yeah. <laughs> Which is why we don't know about it. Ah, there you go. <laughs> but yeah, carry on. Um, so I think I was doing some research into this and it comes from Robert Burns of Burns Night if you're Scottish. Hey, hey. And the, the poem's very long, but I think there's one line that goes a bit like this. And this is the English translation of the Scottish poem. So um, sorry, Scottish people. So it goes like this. Improving foresight may be vain. The best late schemes of mice and men go often askew and leave us nothing but grief and pain for promised joy. So I think from that line alone, you can sort of see that idea of them something being, there being a destination at the end, a dream, a goal to reach at the very end. But best late schemes of mice and men go often askew. So life doesn't kind of go the way you think it wants. And you're left with nothing but basically suffering for promised joy and i think you can see like why steinbeck chose this title of everything of mice and men you know because it doesn't matter if you're like a mouse a tiny helpless mouse it doesn't matter if you're a strong able man like your plans your best late plans often go go askew like i think we can all sort of sympathize with this we've all made plans it just doesn't go your way and you're left there most of the time thinking, well, what can I do now? Like, you just feel hollow. No, actually, I think I've seen this poem before, but I never I never understood what it meant until you said it just now. Yeah, I, I think a lot of good works, at least a lot of works that I think 
have made an impact in my life, they all have one key message in in them. And that's happens. All of them. Or like at least a lot of them. Mm. The central theme is happens, adapt to it. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. There's like a really cynical joke that goes like this. Um, how do you make God laugh? How? You tell him your plans. <laughs> Wait, I just laughed. Oh shoot! Oh no! no. <laughs> oh no! God? Oh, controversial! Controversial! Ah, yeah, and the names as well. So, I think this is why I enjoy about it. So, writers like they really, they they really picky about the names they choose. So, I think their names where it you can tell that it's referencing some real life person. So like Bernard Marx, for example. In this book, it's no different. So I'll start with the easy one, Lenny Small. Well, he's not small. Let's put it that way. He's massive. Yeah. He crushes mice like they're nothing. After stroking them a bit too hard and petting them a bit too hard, he kills them. He's, for all intents and purposes, a brute. What's small is his mind, okay? That's the most obvious one. The other one that's a little bit more subtle is uh, George Milton whose name is in reference to another famous Milton who wrote Paradise Lost. And Paradise Lost is basically about is the is basically about the biblical story of the fall of man, the temptation of Adam and Eve, and their expulsion from the Garden of Eden. And you can see how it's sort of reflected here as well. Their Garden of Eden is, you can see as the farm, as sort of heaven on earth, since it's the Great Depression, and if you have a job, you're already in a pretty damn good place. It might not be the best, but you can also see the Garden of Eden as that dream of owning their own farm. So it depends on which way you want to see it, okay? The Garden of Eden can be twofold. And all of this is taken away when a temptress convinces Lenny to act out his fantasies. And this ultimately causes expulsion from the farm. Paradise lost, literally in every sense. You know what I just realized? What? Curdy's wife wears a red dress. Oh my god, I did and, not see that coming. And the apple that Eve ate was red. Impossible. Oh no. I'm just saying, I'm just saying that there's a little bit of, what's the word for it? Like... Plagiarism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's, let's put it that, let's put it like that. You see, here's the thing, right? Like... Have you heard the phrase "great artist"? Okay, good artist copy, great artist steal. Ah, uh. right. So when you actually trace all these stories, you can actually trace them back somewhat to its biblical roots. So I think someone made this observation: like, if you trace a lot of stories, you can actually link it back to the Bible or something like that. But that's a bit of a cop out, in my opinion, yeah. because all stories follow a similar arc. You know, you know what I mean. Like there's a whole there's a whole that this is a subject for another day. I mean, yeah. To be fair, uh, just to like touch on that a little bit. Uh, to be fair, a lot of a lot of those writers will have had Christian education, so they would have they would have grown up with biblical stories anyway. So it won't be far fetched to say it influenced their writing one way or the other. Yeah. So I think it's a fair enough observation to be honest. And the Bible is not patented as long as as far as I know. So. Yeah, uh, I don't know many translations. I don't really know like if it's I consider I, I can, you know. Yeah, so there we go.
you know, I mean, I thought it's quite cool that you can sort of see it, see it play out as well. You can see how it reference. There's subtle references in the book that you can look out for. Like there was an there's images of snakes in the book as well, and it sort of links into that idea of the biblical fall, mm-hmm. and it sort of wrestled in every extent of the word. And you have someone like Lenny, who's essentially a brute, a kid in every sense of the word, and that sort of inner battle between that rational part and the kiddie part, you can see it sort of play and manifest itself in sort of this entire plot. I don't know. I thought it was. Uh, here's a actually. Here's a question. Mm. Do you think this story would have went differently if it was set in, um, say? The Soviet Union, where it's a completely different system, right? So here, here the entire point of the story is、um, the American dream isn't as great as it sounds. But say if this story was set in somewhere else, where it's not not the American dream, say it's like、um, the Russian dream, or like the Canadian dream, or like、um, the Mexican dream,、mm-hmm. would it would it be any different? Do you think, or would there still be would there still be the exact same themes here? The exact same problems as encountered in this book. I think it's a massive mismatch of expectation and reality. So the American dream, like you said, is very much sold and packaged as this place where immigrants can go to find wealth, make it big, and have a happy, happy life, right? Whereas I don't think somewhere like Russia or oh, sorry, the old world was ever made、yeah. as that sort of dream. It's always like. As an immigrant, you go somewhere else because you're in search of a better life, right? You're not. You're never really in search of a worse life. I yeah, don't think. Yeah. Okay. So I think the story would play out the same in that context, as in if you're a person who goes to a foreign land in search of something better, and you find something, it's not what you seem it is, what you think it is. So, for example, like it's called bright light syndrome. So when people, especially in America or wherever, end up go end up going to Hollywood looking for like. Glitz and glamour and acting and all that, and when they go there, they realize I'm a barista at Starbucks. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that, but you know this wasn't my dream. That's that sort of stuff. So yeah, I think it does play out in other mediums as well, not purely just the American dream. But the expectation won't be as high because the entire point of this story is that the expectation is packaged to such a high standard that the fall is greater. I think so. Exactly, like the mi- the complete and utter complete mismatch of expectation reality, makes it all the more tragic. Ah,、oh, yeah, makes yeah. sense. Okay, I hope it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,、um, let's go into some of the quotes in the book that sort of you know resonated with you or made you think a bit more. So、uh, I'll start, and this one it's quite sad, but it exemplifies. It basically summarizes the whole book. Okay. And basically, George says, "Guys like us got nothing to look ahead to," and that just exemplifies depression in every sense of the word, emphasizing the hopelessness that is felt the entire time. I mean, guys like us probably refers to your average Joes, not necessarily the most educated, not necessarily the most wealthy, and probably not from a very privileged background. With no family heirlooms or land to call their own, that is very much the attitude of depression, both in a mental sense and in the sort of times they lived in. Yeah, and I can also see this quote. Actually, I want to say everyone in their life will have 
experience some sort of hopelessness one way or the other. So it's fair to say that a lot of people, like majority of people, will understand what George is, at least what George is um, kind of experiencing here. Exactly. To some extent. I won't say completely, but to some extent, definitely. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, do you think there's some sort of shared camaraderie between people who feel like everything's hopeless? Um, well, nowadays, people are more sort of isolated in their depression, right? In the mental sense. Mm-hmm. So, camaraderie, yeah. I think there would be, but not in the form that's portrayed in this book. Right. Because here you literally have people like working together and they know each other physically. Mm-hmm. And to some extent, they know like the good things and the bad things of the others. Yeah. Whereas nowadays, I'm not sure whether I'm interpreting your question correctly, but you're saying like whether people with depression now have the same uh, sense of camaraderie as the camaraderie as those in this book or is that kind of what you're asking i think so yeah so i think i would disagree on that one because Mm. um people are more isolated now as i said nowadays Mm. because everyone's behind a screen yeah um they don't they reach out to the outside world through a medium so um to translate it into the book it would be if george and lenny were controlling androids and those androids were working on the ranch on the ranch mm. um yeah that then that would be more more of an accurate description okay and i think in the scenario that i described there won't be a there won't be any camaraderie there won't be a lot of camaraderie i okay. would say so yeah okay no it makes sense were there any quotes that you uh, you'd like to share with us uh, so mine is uh, actually, surprise, surprise, another foreshadowing quote. Oh, God. And it, it goes like this. I ought to have shot that dog myself, George. I shouldn't ought to have let no stranger shoot my dog. Should have done that with a redneck accent. Uh, I wanted to, but I know how bad of a redneck accent I do. <laughs> I probably turn out like um, Canadian or something, or Scottish. <laughs> like, if I want to do a redneck accent, I need, I need to like try and do Australian or something. Oh god! It's like it's like those really bad error adjustments. Oh my god. <laughs> but um, yeah, so this one is actually spoken by I think um, Candy. Um, his dog was gonna get killed because um, yeah, it's too old, and he's saying to George that oh no, um, I want to kill the dog myself because it's my dog. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we all know the ending. Well, now we do. Yeah. So. Yeah, this this one. Now that I look at it again, I go, oh, oh, oh. Fun fact, fun fact for you. So, when this book was written, uh, initially written, John Steinbeck's dog actually ate the first draft of *Of Mice and Men*. Wait, wait, hold on. He actually ate it, or he ate it according to John Steinbeck. Uh, apparently, according to John Stein, apparently he worked for it for two months at that time, and the dog ate the first draft. Hmm. hmm. It's the original. My dog ate my homework. <laughs> the original. I mean, I wouldn't. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, he probably put some like. Uh, he probably put some dog food on the paper and go like, "All right, 
I'm just gonna look over that way and oh no, he ate it. Oh no! Uh, 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 hi, publisher. Um, I'm sorry. Um, I have to delay the publish date for another two months. No, not my fault. I I swear to God, not my fault. You didn't want this to happen. Yeah, man, dude. Oh man, I think I think at the t- I, I think he probably wrote this quote with his dog in mind. I like back in his that. days, he can't open the file in text and delete some source code, so he has to do it the most. Tribe, tribal way. You know what? It's interesting. I haven't heard that excuse in so long. My dog ate my homework. I, I haven't heard that. <laughs> no, excuse the thing is, since... I've never heard it unironically. Because <laughs> I swear, dogs don't eat paper. Exactly, right? Sheep eat paper. Oh, Sheep. goat goats eat paper. Do I, they, I don't know. I think I think I think one of those do, but dogs certainly don't eat paper. I think they think dogs are smart. Yeah, they just tear it apart, but they don't eat it. Maybe he, they tore it apart. Maybe. Yeah, who knows. Exactly, but yeah. So this quote, uh, in in addition to foreshadowing, is also, is also like um, dying with dignity. You know. Okay. So, like in the same way that um, I think it was Curly who killed Candy's dog. So you know, you let someone as morally corrupt as Curly kill your dog, you're like, oh, like. Where's the justice? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Like at least if 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 like uh, you kill the dog yourself then you know that for sure that you didn't make it die in a way that it didn't want to. In the same way that, you know, at the end, George gives Lenny the easiest way out because he knows that if, if Curly catches him, then it won't be as easy as just a bullet to the head. Mm. All right. I think that's a good place to sort of almost stop. But before we leave, uh, so one sentence takeaway from the book. For me, yep. There's always those who don't make it. Damn. Okay. I guess for me, it'd be grass is always greener on the other side. Mm. Like it's not. I think it also relates to what you said. Yeah. I'm cheat a bit. Give myself <laughs> a few more sentences. Hey, well, I mean, you know, you know what I say. Good artists. Good artists copy. copy. Great, great artists artist steal. Great. Yeah, 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 that one. Stolen. All right then. I think that's a good place to stop. Anything else to add, Eugene? Uh, well, nothing much. And I think uh, we'll see you guys next week. In another episode of Paper Cut. Peace out. <laughs>